0: Y'all be seated, y'all be seated. Hey, just by a sign of hands, just so I know, how many of you uh, heard one of the messages this weekend so far? Go and put your hand up. Okay, so, majority of the people in the room, am I right? There's like, there's the majority of the people. So, I'm not gonna preach out John chapter eight. <laughs> she lied in church. No, she didn't know. But uh, I'm gonna switch it up and give you a remix version. And really, this is gonna be the heartbeat of everything that I am, the heartbeat of all that our church is. Um, I pastored, like he said, for almost 13 years now. We'll celebrate that in October. And I've seen a lot over the last 13 years. Our mission statement is simply make it impossible for people to not know Jesus. Basically, we're going to eliminate every barrier possible that would prevent people from coming to Jesus Christ. So we want to make it easy for people, easy access. We're going to open the doors wide. We're going to create on-ramps for people to get up. And so tonight I'm going to preach a message that I've entitled, Just Come. Just Come. Just come. I'm going to save all the other fluff. I got three kids. One's in college. My wife, she's married 18 years. She's hot. Whatever. (laughs) Let's skip to the Bible. Okay? (laughs) I preach. How many times have I preached this weekend so far? This is my sixth. So I'm a little delirious, so just bear with me. Uh, But we're going to have a good time. You know, I'm drunk in the spirit already, okay? We're going to have a a good time. It's my custom to pray before I preach. So if you can close your eyes and bow your head, I'd appreciate it. Father God, help. Amen. That's all all I needed. That's all all you need sometimes. That's all I needed. Just come. Okay, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 to 30, This is a central theme of Scripture, and it's something that sometimes we kind of miss. We don't really understand. Like, there is an echo from heaven that God is continually to articulate, and it's this. It says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 to 30. It says this. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. "O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My father has entrusted everything to me. This is good to know that everything that God has has been entrusted to his son, Jesus. And no one knows the son except the father. And no one truly knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, this is a famous scripture I'm going to uh, say. You'll probably hear it. You probably heard it in different translations. But it says this, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Now, some of you old school King James people will know a different translation of that, but essentially, here's what Jesus is saying in Scripture. Just come. If you're tired, if you've carried a heavy burden, just come. He doesn't say, how did you get the burden? He doesn't say, why are you tired? Are you tired from dumb decisions? Are you tired because someone treated you unfair? Are you, are you carrying heavy burdens from when you were seven? Are you carrying heavy hairy burdens because someone threw their junk on you? He doesn't go into the detail. This is the problem. The church wants to spend all the time on the detail instead of just saying, just come. Just come. Now, what's interesting is Jesus notes this in Matthew chapter 11. But then at the very end of the Bible, the very last chapter of the Bible in the book of Revelations, God says something. I want to show you what it says. It says this in Revelations 22, verse 17. It's almost the very last scriptures that are pinned in the pages of the Bible. It says this, the Holy Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears... Say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants to drink the water of life, drink it. It's a free gift. Now, what this translation also says, the one that here echoes outcome. Like basically, those of us that have received the invitation from God to just come, we're supposed to be echoers of that same imitation and let this thing ring out until Jesus returns. Just come. Just come. Just come. Just come. It's this central theme. I want you to understand that's why Jesus sent his son. He didn't send his son into the world to heal people. That was not his main objective. He healed people because he had a heart to heal people, but that's not why he came. God did not send his son into earth to prove he was God. He's God whether you believe it or not. He doesn't need to prove anything. This isn't up for debate. He knows who he is, and that's the end of the story. His whole central theme of bringing Jesus to earth was to extend an invitation to all humanity, That if you are tired, if you carry a heavy burden, just come. If you're weary, one translation says, if you're burnt out on religion. Anyone ever felt that before? Mm Mm-hmm. Just come. You smoke weed? It's okay. Just come. You've been looking at porn? Don't worry about that. Just just come. You got an alcohol problem? No worry. We got you. You hung over from last night? Just go. Oh, you've been having one night stands? Don't matter to me. See, Jesus' love is so scandalous. It's so ridiculous. It is so irrational that it does not negate someone because of their actions. It's simply an invitation to life and life more abundantly. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you did it with. If you're tired, if you're weary, if you can't be hairy, bearded, just, just go. You an atheist? Come on. Just come. I love this about Jesus because he's an includer. There is nothing about our God that's an excluder. He doesn't exclude you based on your past. He doesn't exclude you based on your present. He doesn't exclude you based on your beliefs. He doesn't exclude you based on uh, your sexual orientation. He doesn't exclude you based on decisions that you made. It's a simple imitation. See, we have a problem with this because we think that there's some prerequisite that you must qualify before you can come to Jesus. Like, we expect people to get right before they get God. Which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like there's some of you in this room, you've been saying, you know, I would give, I'll give my life to Jesus when I finally, uh, you know, when I get my act together. Can I just tell you how stupid that sounds? That's like you're gushing with blood. You cut your arm. It is bleeding, gushing with blood. You're about to die and you're like, nope. I'll go to the hospital when the bleeding stops. I'll go to the doctor when my arm's healed again. No, 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 no. God is not looking for you to be perfect. He's perfect. He's looking for you to just come. Are you seeing the central theme? He just wants you to come. He's not intimidated. He is not worried. He is not anxious about the decisions that you've done and the decisions that you're planning on doing. He simply says, Come on, I'll take you. I'll take you. Are you thirsty? Just come. See, when I picture this, this tired, and here, here's what I've learned. His love, it's so, it's so irrational. It really doesn't make sense. But see, this cross, when Jesus put his son on the cross, the cross was supposed to be a symbol of an invitation. And some of us have made that cross symbolically as a keep out until you get Right? Some of us have made that cross be symbolic of, well, you're doing wrong. It's almost like uh, we become uh, bodyguards at the door of churches, m- making sure the good people get in and all the bad people stay out, instead of realizing that, wait a minute, all the people that are in there are the bad people. We, we need to let everyone in there because they're all messed up inside the building. Everyone in there got some issues. Everyone in there got some junk. You know what? We might as well just let everyone up in here, don't matter what it smell like and sound like, because all these people are lying about their issues anyway. You know I'm telling the truth. Pastor comes up to you. How you guys doing? Blessed and highly favored. Knowing you was cussing out your spouse in the parking lot before you walked in the door. I'm telling the truth. And then you squeeze them. Say something. Ooh, wait till we get home. You better not say nothing to Pastor right now. You better not. You better not. Uh huh. This cross was never meant to be a barrier. Jesus was never meant to be some, 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 some barrier that we have to get through. He was supposed to be the greatest invitational piece that we've ever received from heaven. It was the greatest flyer that we ever received. Just come. Just come. We have no problem. You know, you know what's interesting? We have no problem passing out flyers. Just come to church. Just come to church. Jesus is the flyer. He is the flyer. He said, hey, I'm about to get up on this cross and whoever... Whoever, whoever, whosoever wants to believe in me, just come. I'll take you. You to sell your body for money, I'll take you. You still got a porn problem, I'll take you. You popping pills secretly, I'll take you. You got to have some scotch every night to unwind because you're so stressed out with life and I'll take you so depressed, insecure? Come on, you've been blaming people for all the decisions that happened in your life? You are so critical and so judgmental. It's, guess what? Okay, I'll, I'll take you. Oh, you've been a poor parent, haven't seen your kids, neglected them? It's okay. Oh, you, you've been to jail? You got some DUIs? You got some felonies? It's okay. I'll take you. His love does something very important. I'm going to do I'm going to talk about these three things that his love really does. And this is what this this invitation uh, of this cross statement that God sends through his son Jesus. There's three things that he does through this cross experience. And the first one is this is his love invites our sin. Now, essentially when I read this verse, I already know 75% of the room checked out. Because when it says, "Come to me, all ye who are weary, and heavy burden and I will give you rest. Essentially, many of you take that verse as a verse for unsaved people. That this verse implies that if you don't know Jesus, then you can come. But if you know Jesus, you better know how to act right. And there's many of you who have been living less than your best because you struggle with sin areas in your life and you love Jesus and you want all his best for you, but there are some issues in your life that are still unresolved. And so you would assume that that verse is only available for those that don't know Jesus. And because I know Jesus, I can't come to the cross anymore. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, are there any of you? I've learned this, that there are many Christians who are not living their full potential because they got this piano on their back and it's so heavy and they found ways to manage it. You know, I'm just living, you know, God is good and I'm, you know, I'm just grateful to be in the house of the Lord. But, but you got something on your shoulders that you were never meant to carry, that God wanted to lift off of you. But you keep coming week after week after week and you think because I'm in relationship with Jesus, he, he accepted all my old sin, but this new sin, he don't want to deal with that. Like what amazes me is how many Christians believe that God, the day you gave your life to Jesus, he forgave you of all the dumb stuff you did. Like all the dumb stuff you did. And then now you've been coming to church for five years, three years, and then one day you got angry and cussed someone out. You're like, oh, God doesn't love me no more. You mean to tell me that everything you did when you was 15 and during Woodstock... In your dysfunction, in your high school days, in your frat party days, in your sorority days, in your bar karaoke and singing days. You mean to tell me that God forgave you for all of that. And now, because one day you were on the internet and a site popped up and you looked longer than you're proud of and it turned into a three night hiatus And so now you're trying to clear your search browser history out of fear that someone in your family is going to find it. That now all of a sudden God doesn't love you. That he can't take that piano off your back. And I'm just going to be honest. There are many of you here tonight that his love is saying, I still invite your sin, not just your yesterday's sin. The sin that you're afraid to admit right now. And some of you, you are living less than your potential because you will not give him what you're afraid that he'll be mad at when he saw you do it in the first place. Just come. He says, hey, you got that piano on your back? I don't care how it got there. I don't care what season it got there. I don't care what stage it got there. Guess what? You're not meant to carry that. When I died on the cross, I died for all sin. Give that to me. This will free some of you up because there's some of you who've been living at less than your potential. You, you, you're not serving it. That's why some of you won't serve. That's why some of you won't get involved. That's why some of you won't talk about your faith. It's why some of you won't, won't talk about what God's done for you because you feel guilty about what you did. Not realizing that that same Jesus that accepted you the day you surrendered all that you were to God is the same Jesus that will keep taking all that stuff from you every day. Come on, just give me that. You know what it's called? Sanctification. You know what that means? That's a big Christian word for God is going to continue to work out all of your shortcomings. And guess what's going to happen? That's going to happen until we get to heaven. Newsflash, you are not going to get it perfect. Your whole life, you are going to continue to mess up which means we have to have continual surrender. We have to have continual daily times where we pick up our cross and go back to the feet of Jesus and go, man, I sucked as a parent yesterday. God, help me be a better dad today. Oh my goodness, I was so judgmental in that situation at Walmart because everyone gets judgmental at Walmart. Lord, please help me. <laughs> Everyone's saved until they go to Walmart and then it's like, <sighs> I pray for patience. I wasn't expecting that, Jesus. Lord, help me. I'm taking the decal off my car just for five minutes so they don't know what church I go to. <laughs> I'm preaching the truth, man. What is it? Walmart just brings it out of you. You don't feel that at Target. Just at Walmart, just comes out. I don't know what it is. The spirit of Walmart. <laughs> I told you I'm delirious. This is number six. You got to roll with me. But here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. That he is going to finish the good work he started in you, which means he understands your own process. And he's got all the time. One scripture says he's got all the time in the world to lavish his love on you, which means he's going to continue to remind you that's not who you are. That's your old nature. Come on, get back up. Come on, get back up. That thing's dead. Come on, you're better than that mighty man of God. You're better than that woman. Because, see, sometimes we get in these things, right, where we're we're like doing good for God. We're like, okay, I'm gonna stay single. I feel like God needs to work some things out of my life. And then all of a sudden, some guy shows up, and you're like, this must be a sign. I've been praying to God for a Boaz. Here he is. And just because he carries a Bible, now all of a sudden you think he's spiritual, but he's just trying to get a date. So he gets you, you go out with him, and before you know it, six months down the road, you're making compromises with your body that you said you weren't gonna do. And then you come back into church, and it's almost like you don't even wanna come back because you feel bad for the decision that you made and guess what god would say i knew you was gonna do that just come just come just stay at the foot of the cross we'll work this thing out just come his love doesn't just invite our sin but his love invites our shame Now, shame is different than sin because sin is the acts that we participate. It's when we choose less than God's best and all sin does. It takes us further than what we wanted to go, costs us more than we wanted to pay, and keeps us longer than we wanted to stay. That's what sin does. It sucks you in. It's less than God's standard, and it ends up hurting you and those involved. And so what happens if we get trapped in sin? God says, I want want to help you. I want to get you out of that. But then there's this thing called shame. Shame is the byproduct it's the residue of our sins some of you you haven't been participating in sin but you still feel guilty for what you did at 15. some of you you know God has redeemed you you know God has bought you at a high price you know that God has forgiven you you just can't forgive yourself you still hate yourself for you leaving that marriage and you still hate the fact that you were the parent that you were when the kids were being raised. And you hate the fact that, you know, you wasted all this time to, to whatever your habits and hangups were and you wish you would have done things differently. Some of you still feel guilty for, for the abortion that you had. You feel guilty for the things that you did. And if you're not careful, the enemy will keep reminding you of those things and those things will be a piano on your back and you will not you will not be able to walk in the full purposes of God because you got this 900-pound thing on your shoulders called shame. How do I know? Because I got saved and I knew God forgave me of everything, but there were times where, as a pastor, I would be just, man, I struggled with lust and pornography my whole life, and I remember there were seasons in my life where I would just get ready to get up to the stage, and I'd be like, God, I can't do this. And the enemy would tell you, you think God really wants to use you? You, you did all that stuff with all those girls. You was looking at that stuff. There's no way God would use someone like you. And shame would prevent me from communicating messages that would bring healings to people's lives. Shame will paralyze you. Shame will have you stuck in a rut. Shame will have your marriage on standstill. Because of something you said and something you did. And you never graduate to the next level because shame keeps you low. Shame is a weight that you're not supposed to carry. When Jesus got up on the cross, he took all sin, all shame on the cross. There's some of you, you're teenagers. And you've done things your parents don't know about. And it's hard for you. Shame will keep your hands down during worship. There was a season where you could sing unto God, oh, I'm so excited to be at church. Shame will have you walk in like, I'm just glad to be here. But I'm unexpressive and uninvolved. And it's not because I'm not thankful that I got saved. It's not that I'm thankful that he forgave me my sin. The problem is, is I don't see what God sees. I see my ugly. I see me as a failure. I see me as someone who's messed up. And so some of you, if you're really honest, You love Jesus, you know he forgave you, but you carry shame. You know, my father, um, when I was growing up, my father was never involved in my life, and I would probably see my dad once every three, four years. He'd show up at a birthday party uh, once every four years or so. And uh, when I was older, I was about 26 years old, and I had already surrendered my life to Jesus by this time, and I just had a conversation with my dad. I just said, hey, dad, I forgive you for everything you've ever done, I get it. I fully understand. You're a man. You you had sin in your life, and so, you know, you struggle with some stuff. But I just got one question. How come you never came to my birthday parties? How come you never came to the games to see me play? How come? And he said, son, to be honest with you, you know, I I had every intention to come, but when I wanted to come, I had this idea of the gift that I want to get you. And so your birthday would come around, and I had this idea of the gift that I wanted to get you, and something would happen. I wasn't able to get you the gift, or my car would break down. I wasn't able to go to your birthday. So then I told myself the next year, I'm going to make up for the last year. So the next year, I'm I'm going to do better. I'm going to get a better gift, and I'm going to show up on time. And then the next year would come around, and then I'd feel bad because I wasn't able to get you the better thing. And I wasn't able to get you the thing I wanted to get you, so I didn't come at all. And before you know it, six years would pass by. I was like, Dad, you mean to tell me the reason why you didn't come is because of shame? So I had a dad that was uninvolved in my life, not because he didn't love me, but because he felt bad of what he was unable to produce. Can I just propose to you that some of you, that's your relationship with God. You don't give him all of you. It's not because you're not thankful for him is because you don't feel qualified to be around him. And so you have so much untapped potential that God wants to reveal to the earth through your life. He wants to show it at your job. He wants to show it at your neighborhood. He wants to show it in your family. He wants to show it through this church. God is not just about getting things to you, but getting things through you. And the problem is, is many of you never allow yourself to be a conduit of God because you feel the shame of yesterday. If I get the worship team up here, you feel the shame of yesterday. And so some of you that know Jesus, you're struggling with shame. Some of you who don't know Jesus, you know exactly what I'm talking about because as I'm talking, you're already feeling the weight and the severity of some actions that you displayed. It's stuff I know a lot about. I, I cheated on my girlfriend all the way till three days before we got married. And when I was married, I had to carry that weight every day of our marriage. Knowing that I was repeating the same cycle as my family. There are many people in my city that know the old Mekong and won't come to church because they remember the old Mekong. You don't think I gotta feel that weight? Knowing that I was the one that got them high for the first time and now they're strung out and sleep behind a building? You don't think I feel that weight? But I also know this, when God forgave me, he forgave me for all that stuff. And what I do know is when I was bought at a high price, I became a new creation. So the person they remember is no longer here. The old is gone, the new have come. So I can be who God called me to be today, and I don't have to walk in fear of what I did in my past. And some of you just need to be awakened. You can just. His love invites that shame you're no longer participating in it. It happened 20 years ago, but God says, give me that. I don't want you to walk one more day with shame on your shoulders. Give me that. Here's the last thing, you know, because we see Jesus, he's on the cross and while he's being crucified, there's two thieves on the right and the left of him and One of them says, if you're really Jesus, save yourself and save us while you're at it. The other guy says, he's not guilty of the crimes he committed, but we are guilty of our crimes. Jesus, please remember me when you come into your paradise. And Jesus says, surely I say to you, you will be with me today in paradise. While the people were shouting crucify him, he was uttering, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. What Jesus was saying was, my love will take all your sin. It will take all your sin. But then we see this guy named Peter, and Peter, um, he was a disciple of Jesus, one of Jesus' uh, inner three disciples, very close to Jesus. And uh, Peter said he would never leave Jesus, that, you know, unto death, Jesus, I'm not going to leave your side. And he denies him while Jesus is being crucified. Bible says he denies him three times. And not only him, but all these people who are shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Now, Jesus, he has died on the cross. He has went down to hell, took the keys from the devil. He has ascended up into heaven. Now, mind you, here we are. We're in Acts chapter 2, and uh, they're getting ready to preach the first inaugural message. And Peter, the one guy that denies Jesus, he preaches this message, and here's what he says. He says, the man you guys crucified is the Messiah. Now, I don't know about you, but... When I read that, sometimes I just pass right by that, not realizing the severity of what was just being spoken and how the people would have interpreted it. Essentially what they were saying, let me just put this into perspective. So your daughter um, gets raped by, by a man. Gets raped by a man. You go to court and they're trying some individuals and you point at one of the men and you say, this is the one that did it. I saw this one run out of the house. And the daughter goes, yep, that's the one that did it. And so his, his sentence is the death penalty, and they're getting ready to execute him the next day. They execute him. Three weeks, three weeks later, in walks a man. Says, I was the one that did it. The guy you killed was innocent. Could you imagine what that family would feel? Could you imagine every day thinking about, we had someone put to death that wasn't even guilty of the crime? Now imagine you've been waiting for over 400 years and thousands of years for prophetic voices declaring that a son of God was going to come to be the redeemer of the universe. And he shows up and you realize we're the ones that had him crucified. We had the son of God killed. Could you imagine the weight on your shoulders now? It's no longer just, oh, the guy you you crucified, he was the son of God. It was like, oh, no the one we've been praying for, the one we've been offering sacrifices to, the one we've been reading throughout the scriptures, the one that we've been believing and trusting God and couldn't wait for him to come. You mean the one that was coming to save our souls? That's the one that we killed? Could you imagine that? Peter says, hey, guess what, guys? I got good news for you. That same one that you had crucified died for you. They all say, well, what do we got to do? He says, here's what we got to do. Repent and be baptized. And the Bible says that 3,000 people on that day surrendered all that they were to God, were baptized, and added into the family of God. Guess what God said? Guess what, guys? I'll take your shame. But there's a third thing that the cross does that doesn't get spoken about too much in church. And it's this His love through the cross invites your sorrow. Your sorrow sorrow can often be a weight that you were never meant to carry some of you to be honest you're discouraged you prayed for healing for a loved one and they didn't get healed not the way you thought it was going to happen some of you you're a parent and your kids are not living what you raised them to live and there is sorrow in your heart how come God how come my kids aren't living the way I raised them we've been praying we raised them in church we've surrendered our whole life to you why is he not living like that and you carry sorrow. Some of you, you've been financially uh, faithful to God. You've tithed week after week after week. You've, you've kept it a habit, but you're you you don't, you're not experienced the financial freedom that you thought you were going to experience. Matter of fact, you worked at a company for so long, and they just let you go right before pension, right before your retirement. They say, you know what? There's just no room for you in this organization. And so sometimes it's not that God didn't forgive us of our sin and God hasn't taken our shame. Sometimes the wind just gets knocked out of us, and we carry this thing called Sorrow. Some of you, you've been trying to have a baby, and you got pregnant, and 16 weeks in, miscarriage. And you're like, God, I've been praying. How come we can't get pregnant? I don't understand. Here are all these girls not trying to get pregnant, and they get pregnant. And me and my husband, we've served you. I've been working in the nursery. I've been working in the pre-K. I've been loving all these other kids. How come we can't have a baby? And sometimes when we don't get the answer that we thought we were going to get, this thing called sorrow. It jumps on our back. So we stop being generous and we stop trusting and we stop believing. There's some of you, if you're honest, you're not carrying sin, you're not carrying shame, you're carrying sorrow. Why did my grandma have to die? How come my son had to die? How come I had to bury my own kid? You know, I got people in my church... uh, volunteering, and uh, we had in one week, two 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 kids pass away. Uh, we had a guy who was clean and sober. He found us uh, in the jail. We have a jail ministry. Surrenders his life to je- to Jesus in the jail ministry. Writes us and says, when I get out, I'm going to be part of your church. He does. He comes to our church. He gets part of our church. We put him on our tech team. He runs cameras, and he served on our team for a while, months. L- seen him baptized. Seen him come out the water with hands lifted. Lived a clean and sober life. And one day, he went and hung out with his old friends just one time. And on that night, he got high. And when he got high, that high took his life. He died. His mom's faithful in our church. She prayed for her son to come know Jesus. She prayed for him to change his life, incarcerated, and he did. But it, the outcome wasn't what she thought it was going to be, and she could have easily been carrying we had, we had the same week. We had another family. Uh, people who are uh, high level volunteers in our church. They're uh, in our school of leadership. They've graduated. Uh, lovely people. Their brother was a meth addict and he got off the streets and he was living a clean life and uh, doing away with drugs, getting baptized took a picture with them. he was so excited he took a picture the first day, he got his volunteer badge, look sister, I got this picture I'm volunteering today, we, I got the picture these are memories that I hold in my heart and so here he is serving, he goes out with his friends one day, walking to a mini mart, drive by they were retaliating on the people that he was with, they didn't hit the people he was with it hit him in the shoulder went straight through his heart died right there on the spot and it's moments like that where you and I can go man God where are you at and we start carrying sorrow right before I started pastoring our church me and my wife were pregnant with twins and uh, uh I don't know we were like 13 weeks or so and we went into the little ultrasound thing and they was checking the heartbeats and one of the heartbeats was less than the other heartbeat and I looked at the doctor when stuff like that happens I'd be looking make eye contact with the doctor because you know their eyes don't lie so that doctor's looking at me. And I'm like, yeah, I know what's up. What's going on with this heartbeat? And the doctor kind of looked at me like, okay, well, this, sometimes it's normal, but we need to really keep an eye on this. We're going to ask you to come back next week. We're going to do another ultrasound. And me and my wife went home, and we had been trying to get pregnant for a while at that time. And we get there, and I'm at the, I'm at the house. where uh, We're having a discussion. I'm like, babe, let's just pray because, you know, uh, they're saying that one won't make up, but let's just, let's just pray. Let's just pray the one with the little heartbeat actually comes through. Let's just pray that the heartbeat turns around, and when we go back, we're going to see both heartbeats. We, we named them Tiny and Tubby. We didn't know what gender was it. They're just two big old peanuts, Tiny and Tubby. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to pray. Well, she goes to the ultrasound, and I'm leaving from my business to get there. And uh, I get there, but when I get there, she's running out as I'm coming in. And as she's running out, she's crying hysterically. And I'm like, what happened? She says, we lost them both. That was on a Friday, and I had to preach my first message at the pastor of Together Church on Sunday. Man, I could have got bitter. I could have been like, God, I don't understand. I've given everything I am to follow you. I'm taking a church in the middle of the hood with 50 people, and I'm the youngest person in the building. God, I've sacrificed. I've fasted. I've prayed. I've given. Everything that I have has been completely yours. How come I had to lose twins? And it's easy to let Saul set in. And I got up on that stage and I said, my God is still God and my God is still good. And I preach the best message I've ever preached. My aunt started coming to church. My mom and her hadn't talked for about 15 years. She came down with cancer. That was the thing that kind of re- reunited them. She started coming to church. I started praying for her. I see my, my, my aunt get filled with the Holy Ghost. I see my aunt get slayed out in the spirit. I see my aunt surrender her life to Jesus, and I see my aunt die from cancer. I saw the cancer not leave her body. And in moments like that, when God doesn't answer the way you thought he was going to answer Sorrow could creep in. Some of you, you know, that divorce, that marriage that didn't work, and you never thought that one day those papers were going to slide across that table. And so your family was just disintegrated into pieces because of somebody's decisions. And some of you, you know what you're just carrying? Like, God, I don't understand. Some of you, you're coming to church, and you're, it feels like your marriage is getting worse. It was going good till we came to church. What that is, is God's trying to sift out all the junk to get down to the good stuff so you can have a marriage you never even knew you possibly could have. But in that season, sorrow. Someone took in too soon. Someone that we love leaves. We get backstabbed by people we love in the church, and they, they say hateful things and do hurtful things. And in that moment, if you're not careful, you can sorrow when I was 13 years old my mom came home one day and she said hey son I'm going to get married this summer and I'm going to move to Las Vegas and if you want to come you can come if you want to come you can come so at the age of 13 I said no I ain't going with you so my 16 year old sister who was a high school dropout is the one that I lived with and she introduced me to marijuana in the very first week that I lived with her so I started smoking weed as much as I could and I came home one day after school and she said, she called my mom, she said, Mom, I can't, I can't, I can't take care of me, Connie, smoking weed. You know what I'm saying? You're the one that got me high. What you I Can't take care of me smoking weed so they bounced me to my uncle. My uncle would whip me at the age of 15 because my cousin was getting in fights. I wasn't getting in fights, my cousin was but because he couldn't prove I didn't have something to do with it that I'd get whoopings to got bounced around from house to house to live with my other sister who would try to commit suicide at least once every three years. I'd find her bloody in the bathtub. She would end up becoming an addict and selling her body and doing a lot of drugs. Their dad was incarcerated for a double murder. So you can only imagine the dysfunction that I was raised in. So I tried to fill the hole in my heart with as much money as I could and as many women as I could. And in those seasons, I remember laying in my bed, looking up at pictures of my family that was no longer in my life, wondering, God, where are you at? Because you definitely do not love me. And sorrow would creep in. You know what's interesting in the scripture? Let's get this mental picture. Jesus is up on the cross, and at the cross, we see his mother, and we see his disciples, his friends. And this moment where Jesus is lifted on the cross and he is hanging there and he's gasping for his last breath. I can only imagine his mother thinking about her son. Oh my goodness, I remember when you learned how to walk. I remember this. I remember the moment. She's probably thinking about the time she ran her fingers through his hair. And she's probably thinking about the times that he spoke his first word and he took his first step. And she's probably thinking about the times that she saw God do. She's thinking about the time where he got lost, but he really didn't get lost. He was just in the temple, just learning and teaching the people. And in her, she, there, she was thinking about the times where Jesus was growing up in wisdom and favor with God and man she's thinking about all these times and I can imagine his dad not his earth his earthly dad not his biological father but Joseph's there and he's probably thinking about all the stuff that him and Jesus built remember that table they're probably sitting and thinking about the house on the chair that they built and I can imagine the memories that are flooding in and the disciples are probably thinking Jesus God why are you doing this to us we finally found acceptance we finally found family because Peter's thinking about I was a nobody and then Jesus stepped in Matthew's thinking about I was a nobody, but then Jesus stepped in. All the disciples are thinking, we had no friends, we had no family, but Jesus gave us wholeness. Jesus gave us acceptance. Jesus gave us freedom. God, why are you t- taking our Savior? The followers of Jesus that were there, that were faithful to him, were probably uh, enamored with all this emotion about, why are you leaving us? And I guarantee you, they felt sorrow. And when they took Jesus off the cross and they wrapped him and took him into the tomb that was borrowed and they stick him in there and that stone was rolled in front of it, I can only imagine the defeat that those people felt. God, why did you take the best thing away from me? And they probably all felt sorrow. But the Bible tells us that early Sunday morning when the stone was rolled away, that our Savior was not there. You know what that means? That means God is working behind the stone. You can't see what God is doing in the backdrop of your life. And I know the marriage didn't work the way you thought it was going to work. And I know your kids aren't living the way you dreamt they were living. And I know that everything hasn't gone the way you thought it was going to go. But God is working behind the stone. And early Sunday morning, he comes out a risen Savior, a faithful God, one that holds true to his word. So no matter what you're going through, morning will last for a day but joy, come on somebody God's going to work it out God's going to fix it, I don't care what your marriage looks like, God's going to fix it I don't care what your family looks like God's going to fix it, yeah they might be on drugs but God's going to fix it he's working something behind the stone he's working something behind the stone that sister of mine that Spent 14 years addicted and wanted nothing to do with what I was preaching and would say hateful things about me on Facebook. You're talking about a Facebook blogger against you? Let it be your sister. I hate him. He helps all these people, but he can't even help his sister, really. What she was saying is, he won't give me no money. Of course I'm not going to give you no money, because you're going to go buy drugs and gamble. I'll buy food for your kids, but I'm not going to give you no cash. But she didn't like that. So, I hate my brother. Oh, he's supposed to be this Christian. He's supposed to love me. And blah, blah, blah. I'd go to my mom's house, and my sister would turn her back to me, and put her back to me on the couch. Wouldn't even look at me. She was sunken, maybe 85 pounds. She was living on the street. My mom was raising her two kids. She wouldn't even make eye contact with me. And guess what? I had to just, God, this is in control. It's in in your hands and then one day 14 years later I watched my sister walk into our church. I preached the message. I saw her lift her hand and surrender her life to Jesus. Three months later, I got to baptize that same sister in my church. And here we are five years later. She graduated from our two-year school of ministry. She does work in the jails as one of our outreach coordinators. I'm here to tell you that our God works stuff out behind the stone. He's a good God. It might not look like anything's happening, but behind the stone, our God is at work. So here's what he says. Here's what he says. You got sin? Just come. You got shame? Just come. You got sorrow? Here's what I want you to know, no matter how long you've known Jesus, or if this is the first time that you ever saw a vision of a true God, here's what I want you to know. There is room for you at the cross. There is room for you at the cross. This might be the first time you ever heard that Jesus loves you, not the better version of you, the you you are today. Good news, there's room for you at the cross, and for some of you who have been serving Jesus a long time, that have been battling one of those three things. Here's what he says. You tired? You thirsty? You wore out? You sick of that sorrow weighing on your shoulders? You tired of having to go get another drink to make you feel good, to make you feel bad, to make you feel good, to make you feel... You tired of jumping from relationship to relationship thinking that that's going to fix the hole in your heart that God put there that he can only fix it? Come on. Just Come. He's got living water, water that will never run dry. It's a refreshing well that when you drink from him, you never have to drink again. Just come. Every eye closed, every head bowed across this auditorium. First, I want to ask this simple question. There's some of you that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're not in a relationship with him. You don't know him as Lord and Savior, but he knows you. And he's not worried about your past. He's not worried about what you did. He's not worried about where you've been. He loves you genuinely. And he would say, you know what? When I got up on that cross, I saw you. I saw every dumb decision you made. I saw everything that you're not proud of. I saw everything you wish you could take back. And I still choose you. He would say, can you take this invitation can I put a yoke on you what that means is it's a device that I want to put on your shoulders which will ensure that I'm never going to walk away from you that I'm going to be there with you in the good times and the bad times I'm going to be a faithful friend one that sticks closer than a brother I'm going to be there with you and if you're here today and you would say pastor will you pray for me because I need to start this relationship with Jesus I need to I need to accept this invitation to the cross to do life just a little bit different I realize my way's not working and I need him that's you with every eye closed and every head bowed and you're saying that's absolutely me. Will you just lift your hand high in the air very quickly. I just want to see your hand. I just want to know who I'm praying for. Anybody. Yep. There's some hands over here. Yeah. Anybody else is saying yep. That's definitely me. Yep. There's some in the back. Anybody else you're saying this, this is, I want to start a relationship with Jesus. I absolutely want to start a relationship with Jesus. Yep. There's a couple hands over here. Yep. Some in the back. Anybody else you're just saying yep. This is definitely, this is my moment. I need to start a relationship with him. Go ahead and put your hands down. Let me pray for you. Father God, I pray for every single person that lifted their hand as a sign of surrender to you. God, I pray you do a work in their life that only you can do, that today starts a new beginning and a fresh start starts right now. Church, would you repeat this prayer after me, especially those that lift their hands and say, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to live for you. Help me to love you all the days of my life. Today I'm new. Today I'm changed. Today I'm forgiven. Today I'm free. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you can keep your eyes closed and your head bowed, I want to pray for a couple other things. If you're here and you would say, Pastor, I know Jesus. I love Jesus. But if I'm honest, I'm carrying some things on my shoulders that I'm not meant to carry. For some of you, you're battling some secret sin. And it's time for you to let that go and give that to God. He's not ashamed of you. He's not appalled by you. It's the reason why he came. For some of you, it's not a secret sin. It's shame from things that you did and that weight has been on your shoulders limiting your progress. You you had a hard time forgiving yourself and every time you try to forgive yourself, the enemy reminds you and then you can't forgive yourself again. And for others of you, You've got sorrow. You've got sorrow. You got sorrow you do not understand why the questions aren't answered and your heart is hurting. But tonight, if you want to, we can give that all to Jesus. We can give him all of our sin. We can give him all of our shame. We can give him all of our sorrow. For some of you, it will be all three. For some of you, it will be one of them. But if you're here tonight and you're just really honest, you love Jesus, you've surrendered your life to him, but you know you're carrying something you're not supposed to carry. If that's you, will you lift both hands high in the air? Both hands high in the air. Tons of people. You thought you were the only one. It's probably like 85, 90% of this room. I just want you to know you weren't meant to carry that. You weren't meant to carry those words that they spoke over you. You weren't meant to carry that shame that they tried to throw on you. You weren't meant to carry... Father God, Holy Spirit, do a work in their life that only you can do. God, I pray right now that any of that weight, God, we give it to you. You told us to come, so we're coming. And we're going to lay it down at your feet. We're going to lay down all of our shortcomings, what we call sin, we're going to lay it at your feet. We're going to lay down all of our shame, all that stuff we're not proud of. We're going to lay it at your feet. God, we're going to lay down all that sorrow. God, that pain, that pain that is so real. But God, you're going to give us joy, unspeakable joy. You're going to give us joy, unspeakable joy. You're going to give us peace that surpasses all understanding. You're going to give us life and life to the full. So God, we surrender this to you. We weren't meant to carry it, so we gladly place it at your feet. And God, I pray that there be a vast difference of freedom that is operating in the lives of these people with their hands lifted. Can I pray even right now something supernatural begins to happen and there's a weight that's lifting off their shoulders? There's a weight of regret that's lifted off their shoulders. There's a weight of insignificance that's lifted off their shoulders. There's a weight of worry that's lifted off their shoulders. Can we place it in your hands? Do whatever it is that you want to do in our life. In Jesus' mighty name, someone say amen. amen. Would you do me a favor and give the Lord a hand of a praise for? for all the people who gave their life to Jesus. Thank you, heart of the city. I love you.